Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Alexander Johnson. On this International Week edition, has Mbappe missed his moment? Also, tales of the unexpected in the Champions League and with virtually the last kick in the last minute of the title-deciding last match of the Swedish Prem season, guess what happened? Andy, back from your travels, where in Europe have you been for at the match this week? Uh, Leverkusen, um, where uh, I took in Leverkusen, uh, finishing the Urs Fischer Rain at Union Berlin. Uh, Leverkusen won 4-0 to stay top of the Bundesliga. They were fantastic. They've been one of the big surprises of the European season before, so we thought we'd uh, get behind the scenes and find out exactly why it is that not just they're so successful, but why the football's so good this season. So um, we didn't at the match there, and as part of that, we also spoke to Granit Xhaka and the great Xabi Alonso at some length. So, uh, yeah, get after that. Quite some return for at the match. Uh, Xavi Alonso and you, did he roll out the barrel for you? <laughs> always, always. No, he, he was he was quite relaxed as it was International Week. Uh, lots to say to himself. And modest, as you can imagine. But yeah, you can find out the rest on the OTC feed. Indeed. That episode of At The Match is available to listen to now and you'll find it directly below this one in your podcast app. Um, oh, by the way, Alex, willkommen. Thanks, Mickey. But first, Andy Mbappe, I, what is going on there? What does he have to do to impress his coach, Luis Enrique, at PSG? He scored a hat-trick over the weekend. And Luis Enrique ain't HP. How come? Well, I think, isn't this what every superstar should want off their their, their coach? The fact that 
Um, he can excel, again, in terms of goal scoring. Of course, he scored in the third minute of the game at Reims, uh, and ended up scoring a hat-trick. Um, now he's got 13 goals in 10 starts in, in, in Liga, and a couple in the Champions League, so 15 club goals all, overall. Despite the f- feeling that we have, and I guess this links into what Luis Enrique said, that we don't really feel like he's hit his top form yet. I mean, in terms of what a player wants and what a player should want, I mean, Kylian Mbappe had a famous quote when we go back to when he was a teenager um, where he was asked about his performance after a game in which he'd scored a hat-trick and he said, well, three goals, what more do you want? <laughs> he's very different to that now. I mean, he's, 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 he's 24 years old and um, when he, the, the criticism of Luis Enrique, who said he wanted more from him in terms of the team, was put to him, he said, well, I, I think that's fair criticism. I need to do two things. Um, I need to score goals and I need to perform well. And I only did one of those today. And I think it has to be pointed out in this game that uh, Gigi Donnarumma, who's been in decent form recently, was one of their best players. And certainly after the opening Mbappe goal in in the first half, he he really kept them in in, in front for that. But yeah, I think it is a bit of an acknowledgement that um, not just him, but like PSG this season are a bit of a, a work in progress that is it's going to take a, a bit of time. And I think to acknowledge that they need a coach who really looks at the process rather than the actual results. Because when you look at PSG's ultimate aims, the ultimate aim is the Champions League. So just saying we won in Ligue 1, therefore we've done a good job, that, that doesn't really cut it, does it? You know, they need to find some other way of analysing what they're doing if they're to hit the things that they really want to hit this season, especially when... Your away form in the Champions League group stage has been so poor so far. We don't need to speculate about what next for Mbappe, but we do need to talk about that. Um, and before, Alex, you bring in your wisdom from where you're based in uh, Spain. Andy, if Mbappe needs to improve in certain areas, is it that he needs to improve in those areas for PSG or for wherever he ends up? next well I think both really Dotton because I think when you look at the team that he's had assembled around him or the squad that he's had assembled around him this year it goes back to something that Lars said a couple of of weeks ago surrounded by Swedes I almost called him Lars there sorry just in (laughs) advance for even thinking that Um, I I, I think if you look at the front part of the team particularly um, it is really a work in progress. And Mbappe has looked like he doesn't know where to be for a lot of this season. Now, in terms of where it goes on next, if we've been assuming for a long time that he's going to Real Madrid, which is not a given, but I think it's it, it's still in the mix. Now, Alex, it's a discussion we've had on here a few times recently. Where does Mbappe fit at Real Madrid? Because if you think they're playing without top-level striker at the moment, which is getting more out of Jude Bellingham. If they stick him on the left, cutting in, what does that do to Vinicius, one of their most important players, who's just signed a contract extension? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Where, where do you put Mbappe at Madrid? Well, I think that is one of the biggest problems with Florentino Perez, is that he doesn't really look at those things when he looks at what players he wants to get to Real Madrid. He looks at what players... If we go back to the Galactico days... It was a few signings there that didn't really make sense in terms of what players they already have. And I think it's still the same thing with, with Florentino Perez today, that he's rather looking at what can give me the most 
shirt sells what is the most attractive signings and biggest names rather than what actually does the coach want or what actually works with the squad we have. So I don't really think when it comes to, to him that he would even think about where he's going to, to put him. He just wants to get him there uh, and then let the coach try to figure it out. Is, is it fair to say, though, that the interest in Mbappe from Real Madrid has cooled off over the last season or so? Um, I think yes and no. I think it obviously helps uh, to have a player like Jude Bellingham who comes in and performs the way he's doing. It takes a little bit the pressure off them to try to, to get a big, big name, which is always the thing around Real Madrid. I do think also it's, it might be some, some games from them trying to, to make it cool down a bit, but they, they're still interested and, and they will still try to get him. Um, I think they won't stop until they either get him or they get someone who's bigger and uh, even fancier named than him. Than him. Uh, that's just how Florentino Perez and, and Real Madrid works. I suppose before we get there, Andy, we, we have to confirm that you know this is Mbappe's last season at PSG. Well, we, we can't confirm that because there's a lot of information and counter-information. And it was such a surprise to see him sign an extended contract. I don't think we can rule anything out, really. Um, but as soon as it became clear that the third year of that contract was only an option and an option on Mbappe's side, that completely changed the game. And, of course, that was part of the well, the main constituent part of the fallout between um, club and player this summer, which was more on the club side than the player side. He was always happy to stay and, and, and carry on and just keep his options open. Um, but there, there are some reports in Spain today, for example, citing various PSG sources, that um, PSG are no longer going to aim to extend his contract. They just... It, the, the reports say that they don't want to throw more ridiculous money at him when they can't be sure of his commitment. Now, maybe that's something they should have thought about before. It's definitely something they should have thought about before, to, to, to be honest. Um, but it, it feels as if everyone, all the three parties are keeping their options open here. Because as Alex was saying, Real Madrid can't go too public on this for, for two reasons. One, because... Legally, they can't negotiate anything with him until the 1st of January and he's in the last six months of his contract. And the other thing is, they just don't want to look stupid again. You know, having been convinced that they, they'd got him once and then him walking away from it, Real Madrid are not used to being made to look foolish in, in public like that. You know, if you look at previous contract situations with the likes of um, <clears throat> Angel Di Maria, Xavi Alonso, Meza Ozil, they're the one club in the world, really, who have felt comfortable letting a player roll into the last year of his contract when it's their player. Because, well, where are you going to go from Real Madrid? You know, what are you going to get that's better? So in terms of brinkmanship, they have always had the upper hand. And maybe in this one, A, because PSG are so rich, and B, because Mbappe has a very, very strong sense of his own attorney. Maybe it's a little bit different this time. To what extent, Alex, has the success of Jude Bellingham at Real Madrid this season impacted on the interest, if you like, in Mbappe? I think it both has and hasn't. <laughs> it's still uh, down. Like it, it has obviously helped 
or taking it down a bit in terms of that. Like I said before, he's become maybe more than they ever expected or could dream of a big star for, for Real Madrid. And you know, everyone wants to have a Bellingham shirt now and, uh, and become all of those things that, that Florentino Perez wants uh, in a player, which is more than, than what's happening on the pitch, but everything around it. Uh, but I think the interest is still there. And it's still the, the thing with Real Madrid is that they need every, basically every summer, they need to do a, a big signing. Um, otherwise, people they're going to be criticized by their fans, and everyone's going to wonder what what's happening. And that's kind of Florentino Perez's way. So even if Jude Bellingham is is the big name and the big star right now, they will still need to do get the new signings more or less every summer. Um, we saw during COVID when or when they went through a period where they couldn't do that signing, they instead decided to bring Martin Adegar back from Real Sociedad because he was the most exciting player in La Liga because they couldn't sign any players, but they could bring him ha- back just so they could get that PR and publicity, even though he wasn't really a player that they needed at that time and he ended up sitting on the bench. So it's just the way that Real Madrid is. Um, they're never going to stop want to make the, the big signings, even if they have the good players already. Andy, this is an international week. Um, we know that he's got his eyes on the Ballon d'Or. What does he have to do, internationally at least, to secure that or to have a chance? With all the competition that we're talking about now, it's not messy anymore. The next generation are barking or biting, snapping at his heels, including Jude Bellingham. Harry Kane might uh, be there with a shout. It feels like this... He's going to struggle to be seen in that context as a Ballon d'Or winner, isn't he, this season? Maybe it's because we've been seeing it through this sort of Anglo-centric lens of Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane, like absolutely tearing it up on the continent. But um, we've been talking a lot about the Ballon d'Or over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? And I, I guess Mbappe is in a not entirely dissimilar position in that if he has a big season with lots of goals... And France win the Euros and PSG, bear with me for a second, uh, win the Champions League, then, okay, he would be in the mix for that. That seems a steeper climb than either Real Madrid or Bayern Munich winning the the, the Champions League. I I think that's the obvious thing to say. But in terms of history, one, I don't think it's such a big deal because even if the Ballon d'Or, say it does mean everything to Mbappe, and there's no suggestion really that it does yet, but say it does, there'll be loads of other chances for him. I mean, is, has there ever really been a player like that? Like when they lost in the World Cup final, so many neutrals thought, oh, it's, it's wonderful for Messi. And Mbappe, A, has already won it, and B, will have loads of other opportunities. You know, that, that's the feeling that people have. And I think that's the same with the individual award. I mean, you see him now, just at 24 years old, as we said, fourth place in the France all-time scorers list. And... He's creeping up. He's only 10 goals off number one. Admittedly, against a player in Olivier Giroud, who is still playing. Well, that's why it's such an unusual dynamic. You know, normally when we think of breaking records, we think of breaking records that have stood for decades and all that sort of stuff. Three of the four top scorers of all time for France are still playing, which is really unusual. So you have um, Giroud at one, Thierry Henry at two, you have Antoine Griezmann at three and Kylian Mbappe, who could overtake into third place Griezmann. You, in fact, you wouldn't be surprised this weekend while they're both still playing, which is a really, really weird dynamic. But I think we all know that Mbappe is going to 
take that top spot unless something goes drastically wrong in terms of fitness. Alex, just a final note on this. Um, from your perspective, because Andy's there accusing me of being Anglo-centric and sort of thinking Jude Bellingham and Harry Us. Kane are going to walk away with everything. No, 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 I'll take it. But I wonder, even from um, other nations or other leagues' perspectives, uh, particularly La Liga, can you be regarded as the best player in the world whilst you're at PSG? I think it's difficult, but I think if you win the Euros and you win the Champions League, then you have a case. But I think you have to do that. Like, it's not enough just dominating in the French League uh, because the competition isn't hard enough. But if you play for PSG and you end up winning the Champions League with PSG, then you've showed against the, the difficult competition all around Europe. And if you're on top of that also into the Euros, then I think definitely you can be in the mix. It's so much for Anglo-centricism. <laughs> now, let's talk about the tale of, or the tales of the unexpected. Uh, coming from Spain, Alex, even you, I imagine, are surprised or somewhat taken aback by the success of Real Sociedad in Europe. Actually, I'm not. I think most people are, and I think most people in Spain are, uh, but I've had the, the fortunate and the privilege of covering Real Sociedad very closely for the last couple of seasons for different reasons and different medias. It just ended up that way. And uh, I was kind of expected and expecting them to do what they're doing in the Champions League this season already in the Europa League. I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't really live up to my expectations when they were playing in Europe before. But I think because he's, he's seen for quite a few seasons already, like the talent, the potential that is within this team and within several of these players. Um, and then I was kind of expecting them to, to get more out of, of that already before in Europe. But the one thing, there is missing that little bit to get it to the next level. And I think the main thing about that was experience and matureness because he's a very, very young team and now this season, they're a little bit older, they're a little bit more experienced, and I think the last few seasons in the Europa League has prepared them for this Champions League season. And then on top of that, what it means in San Sebastian and for Real Sociedad and for these players who most of them are from there to play in Champions League, which they saw the team do 10 years ago. Most of them were ball boys uh, at those games. It's just, I think, all of that together creates even more, a bigger excitement for them uh, when they go out and play these games and they get the best out of them. So, honestly, I'm, I'm not that surprised, but I do understand that everyone else uh, are very surprised by what, it, what they are doing. So, if they've been breaking those eggs in the Europa League to make the current omelette in, in, in the Champions League, <laughs> I mean, it, that, that's kind of what it's there for, isn't it? It's what the Europa League's there for, for an ambitious club. Um, if they've been building up over the last couple of years, the, the thing that I find remarkable, Alex, is they have, when they play big teams in the Champions League, uh, in the Europa League, sorry, they've looked a bit short. Whereas this time, they're playing Benfica and were loads better than them, twice, like loads better than them. And Benfica are not a club of no means by any, any stretch of the imagination. We're really unlucky to uh, not be Inter when we go back to the, the the start of the group stage. Talk to us a, a little bit about those home games because you, you've been at all those those home games. 
And the atmosphere at the Anoeta or the Reale Arena, as it's called now, um, is, is way different. Like they've, they've <clears throat> renovated the ground a lot in the last five years. So there used to be this massive space between the fans and the pitch. And now there's not. It's really boxed in. And even when you watch it on television, you can really feel that. How important is that to those young players who grew up there, do you think? I, I think it's super important. Um, and I think more than at most clubs, because in San Sebastian and around Real Sociedad, every, not just in San Sebastian, but inside in uh, Guipuzcoa, which is the, small, the smallest province in Spain, which is where San Sebastian is and where Real Sociedad is from, everything is about Real Sociedad. Like Barcelona, Real Madrid doesn't exist. Um, you have these players that we're talking about now who are playing in the first team. They've grown up with the dream of not playing for Barcelona, Real Madrid, but playing for Real Sociedad. That's been the biggest dream. And then the dream that they couldn't even dream has been to play in the Champions League for, for Real Sociedad. So it's a huge thing. And then to the closeness, the identity and everything is, is what is Real Sociedad. And the closeness between the fans and the players, I think, becomes even closer because of that, because they can see themselves in the players and the players see themselves in the fans. Um, I was actually hearing uh, Alejandro Ramiro, who isn't even one of the Real Sociedad products, who he's, come, he's from Navarra and uh, actually came up through the Athletic Club Youth Academy before he came to Real Sociedad. Well, he's been there for, uh, I don't know how many years now, but for, for a lot of years. He was saying um, in an interview he's doing now when he was with the Spanish national team that before every match day, he and Miguel Arzabal, they go down to a random uh, normal uh, bar in San Sebastian and have breakfast just among regular people on, on match days. And no one, it's never a problem. It's, it's just they're part of, of the community. And it, it's just this closeness uh, that they have in San Sebastian between the players, between, between the city. And then when you come into the ground, I think that comes becomes even more clear because it means so much for all of them. The players understand what it means for the fans in the stands and the fans in the stands understand what it means for the players. And then on top of that, you have a coach in Emmanuel Alguacil who, uh, when I spoke to Martin Subimendi, he explained to me that he's, there is not a single person in this world that is more Guipuzcoano or more Real Sociedad than Emmanuel Alguacil. So he brings that out more than any one of them and he cares more than anyone. So I think all of that together uh, creates something that becomes very, very difficult to beat uh, because it becomes, it's not just the players on the pitch anymore that's playing, it becomes the entire stadium and the entire city. It's fascinating to hear that. And of course, um, we're talking about a team which is currently at the top of their Champions League group, unbeaten in the group stage so far. And remarkably, I think, actually, arguably, the the eye-catching stat on Real Sociedad now is that five of their players are in the national squad. If you think about that, we're talking about Spain. We're talking about Spain, La Liga, with the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona. Real Sociedad have got five of their players in the national... I mean, even outside Spain, Alex, that must be something of... Uh, you know, there aren't many national squads that will have that many players from one team. And please address that for us. But also, even as you talk about the sort of history behind the club and the association between the players and the fans and what it means to them, all of those are somewhat intangible in terms of football. I mean, many different teams might argue the same thing. We have a relationship with our fans. They're very 
intangibles to how that affects the success. Um, are there more tangible reasons why Real Sociedad are doing so well internationally? Well, not so much domestically, but European football-wise and otherwise. So if we uh, touch on the first thing with the national team, I thought it was quite interesting when they asked the Imanol, the Real Sociedad coach, about he must be happy that there is five players in the national team. And his response was, yeah, it's great there's five, but we all know that the only reason they are not the, there isn't three more there is because that would be too many and they can't <laughs> defend that. And the thing is that there is an argument for three more Real Sociedad players that probably... Uh, you could really, really make a big argument that they should be there, which is, which is Bryce Mendes. He's been one of the best um, in Spain so far this season. He's scored three goals in his three first ever Champions League matches. Uh, and he's been incredible. You have Ander Barrenechea, who's playing the season of his life. Um, and, and he's been uh, fantastic. And then you have Igor Sobeldia, uh, who's the, probably the one they least talked about, but the one I actually think is the what possibly one that should really be in the national team, um, who's been just incredible this season. I actually think he's been better than Lenormand, who is another Real Sociedad player who is uh, his centre-back, uh, who is in the national team. So there really is arguments for three more players to be there, even though they have five, which is just remarkable, I think. Uh, but it was quite funny that that, that was Imanol Arruasil's take to it all. Um, and for the success, I think whenever you speak to anyone around the club, Whenever you speak to uh, anyone in San Sebastian, they all come down to, to the same thing of what is the most important and what is the reason for, for anything really that they managed to achieve. And it's the Youth Academy. Um, it's Subieta, which um, uh, I think the work they've done there, there is just uh, completely incredible. And it's, this is not an overnight sensation what Real Sociedad has done. It's not something that happened like from one day to another. We've seen previous, uh, we've seen other Spanish teams like Malaga, for example, had an incredible season in the Champions League uh, a decade ago, ago now. And, but that was more, you know, like a kind of one-time happening. What's happening with Real Sociedad is something that they have built for a very, very long time. Uh, and it all comes down to the work they're doing in, in the Youth Academy, where they start at the age of 12. They don't have any younger teams than that. Uh, and most of the players they have in the first team today joined the club when they were between 12 and 13 or 14 years old. And it's since basically they came there. That, that's how long the process to what the success that they are doing today has been created. And also with a coach who's uh, not just coached the first team, but before coached the reserve team and even some of the youth teams. And he's coached, I think it's eight or nine players in the current team. He's coached them since youth level. So it's a long, long process to get where, where they are now. And it's, yeah, it's, it's simply not something that happened overnight. It's a, uh, it's a team or a club that has a lot of patience that have, you know, worked long term for, for several, several years. And, and what we're seeing now is the result of that. Now, Dotton talked about them not perhaps being as high as they might be in the, the, the La Liga at the moment. I would say like being top six, having put this much into the European campaign is, is, is pretty good. And it leaves them in a decent position. I think the other thing, Alex, that, that, that you'd notice um, is the fact that, okay, you're getting goals from Kubo, you're getting goals from Ayathabal, but 
the strikers who they're expecting to score them goals this season, uh, namely uh, Andre Silva, uh, Umar Sadiq, who's just come back from that big injury. He got the big injury just um, after he moved across from Almeria, of course. And um, Mohamed Ali Cho, the young uh, Franco-British player as well. You think there's, there's actually a lot more to come from them, surely. I mean, I mean, it feels to me that, say you've got uh, Athletic just above them in the league, it feels to me that they're playing pretty much as well as they can play at the moment. That's definitely not the case for Real Sociedad, is it? No, I think uh, when, it look, when we look at the, how they've looked in the league, and the Champions League is a little bit different because they've probably been, been playing their best games ever in, in every single game. Uh, in the league, they've struggled a bit more. I would say they've been a little bit unlucky as well because there's a lot of games, especially at the start of the season, where they got a lot of draws, which was games they probably should have won and where they were the better team. Uh, we had the game against Barcelona where they completely dominated and mm. outplayed Barcelona for 90 minutes and still lost on a goal in the last minute. But I think all of that also comes down to what you were saying, that they don't have, their strikers are not scoring. It's the rest of the teams that, that, that is scoring and they still have... Uh, have things to develop in, in that sense and there's more to come out of that. Um, I don't think there is any bigger need to be worried about what they're doing in, in the league. I feel like the team is so good and they're functioning so well that it's just it's going to be working there as well. Um, it was quite interesting when, when speaking to Emmanuel Alguacil after the Benfica game, he was still upset about the Barcelona game because he, <laughs> he was so happy with how they played and they were so good. And he was just so frustrated that they couldn't get away with the win in that match. Um, and it's easy to just look at results and, well, they lost against Barcelona, they drew against Girona, they drew this game and this game and this game. Um, you could also look at it that the only uh, games they've lost this season is against Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico. And all three of those games they could have won. I thought they were better against Real Madrid. Um, they had a lead there, um, lost it at the end of the game. They were much better than Barcelona. Uh, Atletico game was very, very even. It could have gone either way. Um, so I think they've looked good in the league as well. Uh, they've just been a bit unlucky in combination with not being able to kill the games. I think that's been their main struggle this season is, is not killing the games, which is the same thing against Inter where they were dominating and then it became a draw with a goal in, in the last few minutes. So that's, I think, and that's what they're talking about as well. That's their biggest... Um, weakness this season is that they're they're dominating the games they're the better team but they are are just not killing the the games and that obviously comes down a lot too as well that they don't have those strikers uh performing or, or scoring those goals so if they can get that working then it's going to be really really difficult to stop them i think A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Andy, you know, it's pay, it pains me somewhat to have to say congratulations to Alex, um, or as we say in Swedish, gratis. But hey, you know me. Justi dag är jag stark. Justi dag mår jag bra. Jag fisk fram av kraftiga But yeah, Malmö, your team have won the Swedish Prem. Um, last game of the match so last match of the season uh, not in typical fashion they have won and just about and they needed to win by the way that last match go on do you want to talk us through the most exciting end of a season that we've experienced in Europe for some time I mean we have to make it a little bit exciting can't just do it too easy every time no, <laughs> this is Sweden no, we're talking about surely <laughs> No, it was, it was it was a thrilling one. So uh, Elfsborg has been topping the league for I don't know how long um, at the end of the season, but but quite a while. Um, and Malmo been chasing behind, but always known that if it would come down to it, the last game of the season, it was a Malmo Elfsborg fixture in Malmo. Uh, so Malmo is needed to make sure that the, they were still in the race until that last game, and it looked like they did not make sure of that because in the second to last game. They played against Beko Hecken, who's, uh, who's won the league last season and actually been one of the best sides this season as well and was in the, in the title race for a while. But I think they, uh, they had problems with, with playing in Europe at the same time, which not, did not go very well for them. Um, and yeah, so Malmö played away against Hecken and got completely run over. It, it, was, it was an awful game. Uh, that we don't have to remember. Well, uh, we do, and... actually. No, we do have to remember <laughs> it because we have to remember the size of Malmo Football Club, which is one of the biggest clubs in Scandinavia, let alone Sweden, with the size of Hecken. So it was a shocking result. Well, it wasn't a shocking result because Hecken has been like one of the top sides for not just this season, but for a few seasons now and been really, really good. And they have some amazing players. Uh, so we need to give them some credit as well. Um, and, uh, and well, so with that result, it basically meant that Elfsborg was playing at home against Degerfors, who was fighting relegation. Elfsborg just needed a win, and then they would win the league at home. Uh, what was happening during, which has been a big discussion among the Malmö fans during the Malmö game against Hecken, is that every time Hecken scored a goal, they put on the, well, first they put in the broadcast, so anyone watching the game at home, they would put like a video from uh, Boros, where Elfsborg is from, of Elfsborg fans celebrating, which I think is fine doing it in the broadcast. But they would also put that broadcast on the big screen in the stadium. 
so the Malmö Way fans were not very happy about that uh, and have been screaming, where are the footage of the Elsborg fans now? Where is it now? Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so then Elsborg just had to beat Degaforce. And the um, good thing is that uh, Malmö has uh, loaned some players out to Degaforce this season and they, they kind of sorted it for us. The game ended... Uh, 2-2. I don't remember how that game was because I refused to watch it. Uh, I kind of ignored it until I got a text message that we were still in the race. Uh, but I think it was quite even. And Dago Force sadly got relegated because they needed a win and only got a draw. Um, but they've gotten uh, quite a lot of money from all the fans who uh, decided to start a Swish ca- campaign. So Swish is, I don't know what the equivalent is in the UK. Yeah, we but have when it here can- in the... Yeah, we have it in the UK as well, Switch, as in the banking um, app, isn't it? Yes, yes, you like send money to someone else's phone, basically. Um, so Mama fans started sending money as a thank you to Degaforce, and now they have enough to build a new stand for their stadium. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, don't laugh. Degaforce, I, I, I was on a train uh, to Degaforce last summer when I was in Sweden, and I was on a train full of IECO fans which is one of the bigger football teams in um stockholm and i'll tell you degafosh is a tiny 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 club and i got off the train and i thought i was in one of those clint eastwood films you know where the camera zooms in on the boots and the spur and then you see this expansive landscape in front of you honestly it was like a one horse town and um, all the Aiko fans were going, Aiko, 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 and their mates were there. There was no Degafosh people to be seen for miles. Anyway, just to give you a sense of, they've got a remarkable story, Degafosh, in even being in the Swedish Prem. It's slightly sad to see them go down, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, definitely. I think everyone likes Degafosh. Everyone wants to have them up there. I was, I was going to say, Alex, that the thing that I found remarkable about this, not just that it's a final game of the season between the two top teams in a European league um, where the title is actually decided. But the title ends up being decided by Isaac Kizatelin's penalty, um, which is slightly controversial, I think it's fair to say. Now, of course, for a lot of this season, Swedish fans have been celebrating the fact that there's no VAR and you can enjoy football on a level that we all used to enjoy it on. Has the chat in Sweden changed in the day since Malmö won the title because of that? Or is it something that people still feel quite strongly about? It's something people feel very strongly about still. Um, it's not changed. I think uh, people are even saying that, or I think everyone is still even agreeing that it would have been a penalty had VAR looked at it. Mm. Uh, but the fact that but the arguments for why it shouldn't be a penalty is because it's like a 50-50 situation. Um, that's what the, the, the referees, other referees in, in the league are saying as well. It's, it's a 50-50 situation. And then people's argument is that should because of the magnitude of the game, like had this been a game in the middle of the season, sure, let it be a penalty. But because it's such a big, important deciding game, then if it's a 50-50 situation, then maybe you shouldn't give the penalty. That's kind of been discussion. I think the bigger one talk about has been the situation at the start of the game where Elspur should have had a penalty, mm. uh, where Busanello drags off the shirt of one of the Elspur players completely um, and, and nothing happens. And I think 
had VAR been there, then that would have been a penalty for sure. So that one is probably more a discussion. That that one would probably be more um, an argument for getting VAR. But it's there is no. I think yeah, I've even heard Elsport fans say that I'd rather lose a league like this than have VAR. So um, it's not in actually in any way helped the VAR. Uh, debate everyone or not everyone but the majority is still very very much against getting bar they think this is a part of, of football it's the referees want bar but they are quite lonely about it so, so I, I guess it's, it's interesting isn't it how Swedish football fans must see the rest of Europe then to watch people in particularly England but also um, Spain Italy Portugal to a lesser extent completely tie themselves up in knots like, you know, it's, it must be, what, 30, 40% of football discourse every weekend? I, I guess on, on, on a, in, the, in the inverse of that, we must look over there thinking, what do you talk about? <laughs> what do you talk about? No, no you haven't got this. But is, is it something where Swedish football fans look at those other leagues just absolutely going mad about it? And especially, obviously, a, a, lot, of, a lot of Swedes watch the English Premier League. Is, is there a sense of Swedish fans looking at it and thinking... Uh, thank, thank goodness that's not us. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's what makes it even more that people don't want VAR is that they see that's what's happening with it in other leagues, how games are interrupted, how the discussions and everything. It's not that we don't have referee discussions in the Swedish league. We have them loads. Um, mm. And this season there's been been a lot, a lot. And it always, you know, that, that will always come into all of those discussions as well. So maybe we should get VAR then. And then everyone is like, but no, we'd rather have it like this, rather get these mistakes. Um, so, but, but I think it's looking at the other leagues that is helping the majority not want it in, in the Swedish league. But at the same time, I think it's, it's a difficult thing because uh, it, had it not been because of how the Swedish league is run, where the, uh, the clubs uh, decide there's a democracy uh, where it's voted by the clubs and the clubs listen to the members of, of, of each club, uh, then we would have had VAR in Sweden as well. Like the referees want it, uh, the federation wants it, uh, but it's simply the people that don't want it. And that's the only reason why, why there is no VR in Sweden. So, so obviously from a, a personal perspective, I don't think I'm betraying any confidences by saying you're a Malmö fan here. Uh, obviously from a personal perspective, um, d- delighted to get the title. Three of the last four now is is it for, for for Malmo? I mean, you talked about Hecken before and how it was an extraordinary story about them uh, winning the title last season. A, a club with very little support. I saw them on first hand actually last season in Hammarby, and, and they were really really impressive. Um, much as we all love an underdog tale, is it better for Sweden for Malmo to qualify because we saw? can go out actually to a Faroe East team in the, the, the second round of the Champions League. And it, it's, it's horrible to say it, but actually the more little teams qualify for, this is, this is modern football for you, I guess, the more little teams qualify, um, the worse it is for the Swedish coefficient. Yeah, so this is an interesting one because this is a discussion that we've had in Swedish football since uh, Malmö reached the Champions League in 2014, the, the first time. Is, is it good or bad for Swedish football that Malmö is doing well in Europe? Uh, and there's a lot of people that think it's bad for Swedish football because if Malmö do well in Europe, then we earn a lot of money and get so much bigger uh, financially than all the other clubs and will dominate the league. 
I do think people expected us to dominate more than we have done uh, since all of this uh, European success started, that it would be a one-team one league, uh, which it hasn't been because Hecken won last season. It's like every every three years or something like that, we let someone else win it to, to make them <laughs> feel important. <laughs> no, but so you have the, Cheeky, in, in Sweden... But, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to step back, but just remember that I'm, I'm moving forward with powerful wins, okay? Just remember that. <laughs> no, so like in, in Sweden, I think most of the focus um, have been from that direction kind of thing, that it's actually not good for Swedish football if Malmö do well in Europe, because then Malmö becomes so dominant. Uh, but then there's the other way you can look at it, which which you are doing, that maybe it's better for Swedish football in terms of getting, uh, and that, that argument has also been made of, of getting better chances uh, for the other teams. If they get the chance to play in Europe, then Malmö paves the way kind of uh, by doing so well. Um, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both um, and it's kind of, of difficult to say what is better and what is worse. Personally, I do think it must be better for for your country if you're doing your, the, the teams that are representing you in Europe are doing well. And I think also a thing with, with Beko Hecken, which, which would be the same if it was Elfsborg, would be the same if it was Yugor uh, and Hammarby and so forth, is that they are playing most of their games on artificial grass, like all their home matches are on artificial grass. And uh, that's one of the things that the players at Hecken are saying themselves was their biggest uh, difficulties with playing in Europe because they're playing all these away games on grass. They don't have the physical, uh, the, because you don't do as much duels when you play on artificial grass as you do um, when you play on, on real grass or natural grass. Um, they struggled a lot with that when they were out playing in Europe while Malmö play all their games on grass. Uh, struggle when they play on artificial grass though. Um, and, and those away games. So I think in that sense as well, Malmö is a team that has better, not just financially or players, but also uh, in those terms have better conditions when they play out in Europe than the teams who normally play their, their games on artificial grass will, will have. So it's many things to look at, but in general, now again, as you said, I am a Malmö fan, so I might be a bit biased here. But I do think generally that it should be better for Swedish football to have a team that can do stuff in Europe, uh, rather to, than to have teams that are, are knocked out in the first or, or second rounds. Uh, but there is obviously different views on it. Alex, I don't know if you've been briefed, but at this time in the conversation, we ask you to give us a football recommendation uh, that we can view, a, a match that we can view, a game of the week, if you like. And although it's, some might describe it as inter the international break, but it isn't really, is it, for for all European football? It's not an international break. No, we got the female football going on. We got the uh, second division here in Spain. Uh, I'm personally going to uh, Real Oviedo Eibar this weekend. I would probably not recommend that match though, because if you're not supporting <laughs> one of the teams, it's it, it's not fun football. Uh, so I'm not gonna gonna force anyone to watch that. Uh, even though Casorla might play, so that is always fun. Now I'd probably go for uh, we have a, a big game in the in the women's league in Spain this weekend, which is uh, Barcelona Real Madrid. And though Barcelona are extremely good and better than everyone else uh, in women's football, 
Real Madrid has really been uh, been growing the last few seasons, and I think those games are, are starting to become more and more even, even if not even yet. I think Barcelona is still going to win, but it's probably going to be a quite a good game because um, the level of the players in both teams are, are really good and lots of World Cup winning players um, in that fixture. Uh, and then I had to pick a food as well, right? Well, a smurgos board, if you like. <laughs> Now, I would suggest uh, to watch that game with uh, a really good tortilla de patata, uh, Spanish omelette. And that should be a proper Spanish omelette with, oh, yeah. uh, with, with onion, con cebolla. I'm not arguing with that at all. I can <laughs> smell it now, even as we're talking. And Andy, what would you recommend as a game of the week in this international break for some, but not for others? Well, if, if Alex is going club, I'll, I'll go country. Um, I'll also go Scandinavian. I'm going to go for Denmark, Slovenia um, at the Parken in Copenhagen. It's, it's going to be huge. Uh, it really, really matters in that qualifying group. Of course, Slovenia leading the qualifying group at the moment. Uh, it's remarkable. I presume history's got a lot to do with this, but if you're, you're someone who's into football betting or if you have even a passing interest in football betting, you might notice that Denmark are absolutely massive favourites for this. Um, Slovenia are good and you can tell that not just because they're leading the group um, got a lot of fine players at the moment a lot of young players who are developing like uh, Benjamin Sheshko as well um, I, I think this is this is going to be quite an occasion and the atmosphere at Parkland is always uh, amazing too so uh, for this I'm talking about eating the food on site really so I might have described like long-term OTC listeners will uh, possibly remember that the hot dog stand on the corner of the parking stadium uh, serves some of the best hot dogs in European football, certainly outside Germany. Um, so you want to pick up one of those. And for pudding, um, they do really good ice cream, actually, in Copenhagen, in, in my experience. I remember like going there with my family and my eldest son, who's like five at the time, going back and uh, looking a little bit out of place because when you know kids have that discussion about what's your what's your favorite ice cream and you go oh I'm, I'm, i prefer chocolate i prefer strawberry and he uh answered to one of his friends who asked him i prefer aged dragon fruit <laughs> <laughs> there's no coming back from that really is there but it's really good it is it is really good so uh get get one of those um yeah lots of places around the park that can help you out Thank you both, and thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.